This is the 101 <laughs> episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Juliet Jeske. Each week I watch and analyze. This past week it was 19 hours of Fox News and break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. Let's get into it. Fox News, Trump's legal problems, the Her Report, and the arrest of an FBI informant. Tell you, Dana, everybody I've spoken with has been glued to this. This is a combination of, of, of a real courtroom, but also with soap opera, with characters and with explosions that you don't usually see in courtrooms. So let me let me start by saying that uh, Bonnie Willis is out of control. All right. No judge would tolerate what she did in that courtroom. I don't know why this one did, but any judge that I appeared before trying a case would have held me in contempt if I acted Why? that way. She was condescending. She was out of control. She was combative. She was uh, gratuitous. She was lecturing. She yelled at the attorney and said, don't you yell at me. And, you know, the attorney wasn't yelling, but she was yelling at the attorney. And she literally thought that this was her show, that she was running the courtroom, and that, you know, all of these issues, everybody had to be lectured. If she was asked a question, you know, did you keep cash and trying to assess the real issue here is whether or not there were misconduct allegations that can lead to her being disqualified. Those misconduct allegations include, number one, did she have an affair with a guy before she hired him? And what has come out is that she hired him in November of 2022, and the affair started in early 2023. So I guess a few weeks after they took a look at each other, they decided they were going to have sex together. But that last line uh, is why I picked that clip and why I love it so much and why I love Judge Jeanine so much. Not like personally as a friend or like I see her values as something I agree with. No, I just find her very funny as a character. And uh, the fact that she said <laughs> they looked into each other's eyes and then they thought, let's have sex together. I think it'd be very funny if you wanted to completely like any fear that a parent would have that like a sex education class might be too quote unquote sexy. I say hire Judge Janine to read like audio parts, you know, like the audio version of any textbook. And when in doubt, just have her read it like that to, you know, your children. Like once a month, a girl or woman menstruates. You know, like I think. There's these things called STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. I mean, would anybody be like, ooh, no. You'd just be like, wow, this is okay. Or, I, you know, I have an idea of Judge Janine, the, I've talked about this many times, the um, alarm clocks that would just, instead of, eh, 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 it would wake to her voice going, get up, you loser. Or another one that I think would be very, very funny. Because, you know, why not? Pe women, I don't. I don't love this genre of literature at all. I, 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 no, you couldn't force me to read these, but they're very popular, um, like romance novels. Wouldn't it be amazing to have Judge Janine do, again, audio renditions of, he looked at her and she looked at him. And suddenly she felt 
a throbbing. I think, you know, anyway, I, I did not plan that. I just thought of that when I heard her say that. I did not plan any of this. I'm riffing. Anyway, so <laughs> I think my ideas are gold and I think they would just burn money. I think you just will burn money, make money. You just print money. You print it. You just print money. Burn money is the opposite. I'm tired. Again, here's the thing. Oh my, I'm, I'm using her phrasing now. Here's the thing. Um, sleep deprivation is just a, 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 basically my existence at all time. It's just a layer level of sleep deprivation. People who have young children, like toddlers, know exactly what I'm talking about. Or small business owners. It's the same, same kind of crazy. You just you never sleep. Always on the go. So anyway, um, a lot went down on Fox News last week as the network aired uninterrupted live coverage of a hearing involving Fonnie Willis, the district attorney prosecuting Trump in Fulton County, Georgia. Special counsel David Weiss announced charges against an FBI informant for lying about the Biden's business dealings. And Donald J. Trump was hit with a massive $355 million penalty in the civil fraud trial in New York. So all of this went down in a matter of about 72 hours while Fox was busy promoting its usual hysteria about the border crisis and repeating the lie that the Her report stated that Biden was mentally unfit to stand trial. That's like the phrase. We're going to hear that until we're like, stop it. So stop it. Okay. It's the same as but her emails. Okay. The network only dedicated 1% of its coverage to the Israel-Hamas war, while 7% of programming on the PBS NewsHour was focused on the conflict. I'm going to use a lot of clips from PBS this week because this was so heavy. There's so much going on. I'm like, I'm just going to let PBS explain it. <laughs> and then we're going to keep going because I can't. It's too much. It's too much. And they did such a good job. Anyone watching Fox News exclusively last week would have missed out on several developments in the Israel-Hamas war in the war in Ukraine, a bipartisan bill to increase rail safety that stalled in Congress, and continued political unrest in Pakistan. Pakistan is a disaster lately. Okay, shows I covered last week, Fox and Friends, The Five, Hannity, Jesse Waters Primetime, um, I got Tuesday and Friday last week, and then Special Report with Brett Baer, The Ingram Angle, also on Friday only. Uh, what happened on Friday is the news came down about the judgment against Trump, and I went ahead and got all of Primetime. And uh, I worked through the entire weekend. It was nuts. So Jesse Waters suddenly thinks it's bad to date co-workers is how we're going to start this one out. Um, so last September, a grand jury issued a report recommending criminal indictments for Trump and several of his associates for their attempts to overturn the presidential election in Georgia. Fonnie Willis, the Fulton County District Attorney, issued RICO charges against Trump and 18 other defendants, some of whom have already pleaded guilty. Willis is now under investigation for having a consensual affair with Nathan Wade, an outside lawyer who was hired to help with the prosecution in the RICO case against Trump and his co-defendants. Her critics have claimed she may have broken the law or acted unethically when she received gifts or had travel expenses paid by Wade. Willis has defended herself in part by saying she reimbursed Wade for some cases with cash for costs incurred during vacations they took together. On Thursday on The Five, Jesse Waters lambasted Fonnie Willis for becoming romantically involved with a co-worker, which is hilarious for a number of reasons. Here's the clip. You're not allowed to hire the person you're having 
sex with and then not disclose it mm -hmm. and then pay him a bunch of money and then he takes you on vacation and you claim you gave him cash? Or Okay, this is especially ridiculous because I talk about this all the time. And if you know anything about Jesse Waters, he cheated on wife number one with wife number two. Wife number two uh, is like th 14, 15 years younger than him, was a low level employee on his show. And then he most famously back in April of 2022, I'm the account that clipped it, joked that joked in quotes that he let the air out of his now wife's tires so she would be forced to ask him for a ride home. He thought this was hilarious. His coworkers screamed at him like, what is wrong with you? He did not clarify. He just held it and literally said at the very end, works like a charm. Now, I say quotes, jokes in quotes because Greg Gutfeld and Jesse Waters, both on air without using the name of this account of Decoding Fox News, accused me of editing it creatively to make him look bad. I did not. And I immediately responded with posting a longer version of the clip that showed the entire end, like from that statement to the entire end of the segment. He never once said he was joking. So yeah, now this other clip I found, I remembered this in my archives. This is from September of last year. This is the same man on the five. What about office romance? <laughs> Without returning to the office, you don't want to go there. You have no office room. That's the third rail. Stop on your head. I don't think we need families in this country. We need jobs. You know, I'm not going to let you get in any trouble. I say one more thing though, real quick. The fastest is up next because Jesse doesn't need to talk. Now that cracked me up because again, that was from September of last year. I remembered that clip, and I'm like, wait a second. He flat out advocated for office romances. I know I have that clip. And I looked through my archives, found it, was like, yes! And that went crazy viral, pairing those two together. Now, what was also funny about that, for me, <laughs> is they're all screaming at him to shut up, and Judge Pirro says, we don't want to get you in trouble! And when I posted my let the air out of his um, intern's tires clip, they all claimed when he came back, because he like hurt his back and had to go for surgery, so he was gone, and people thought he was fired. I'm like, oh, he's not fired. I know that network, he's not fired. And he came back and they're like, yeah, I didn't get in trouble. <laughs> no big deal. I'm like, dude, that made international press. That made that was covered in England in more than one paper. International press, thank you very much. This weirdo with, I had 2,000 followers on Twitter at the time. My account was tiny. It was two months old. And I was like, what the heck just happened? So the number one story last week on Fox News uh, was this Fonnie Willis hearing. And it was mainly because Fox just decided to show just the straight, the coverage. They just showed it with very little commentary. They would just, you turn on Fox and it was Fonnie Willis in a courtroom in Georgia. And I'm like, here we go. And it was unusually entertaining for court television because normally when you, you show live court, it's, it's somebody just going, oh, I have this motion and blah, blah, blah. And the judge is like, no, you can't do that. And it's just not very exciting. And in this case, it was because she was um, very aggressively pushing back at things. And she's kind of an over-the-top character. And I enjoyed watching her. I thought she was amazing. But I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if she was hurting her case or helping it. I can't say. But I, I did. I was cheering her on. <laughs> like when she basically was like, a man is not a plan. I was like, yes. Amen. But anyway, <laughs> um. 
I did talk to my sister about this. She's a criminal defense attorney. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say exactly because we don't know everything yet. But normally, uh, it's not a great idea to date somebody in your own office like this. It's, you know, that's generally frowned upon. But the much, much bigger scandal would be if she was dating, caught dating like a witness or uh, somebody from the defense on another case. That would be horrific. I mean, that would be career ending. You can't do that. You, you can't date like a cop who's coming in to testify. You, you just have to leave that part alone. And if you are, if you do have a relationship with someone, you just have to say, I can't work on this case. And it goes to another judge. So, um, or DA or whatever. It, it, this happens. It happens. But like, eh, it's hard to say right now what's going on with this. I'm no legal expert and I'm not going to pretend that I am one, but this is like a, a, a I, 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 I'm going to let Jessica Tarloff break it down because uh, she pretty much sums it up. I, I know people who keep cash at home, know people who walk around with cash. Their entire lives cannot run that way in a legitimate fashion. And this is exactly the result that the president, the former president and his supporters want from this because we're going to spend two, three days of news cycles talking about how ridiculous this courtroom scene is and lose track of the seriousness of the case that has been put forward. We're not even talking about the fact that Donald Trump was not indicted by Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade. He was indicted by a grand jury. Yeah, there the Giggly Wicken, remember that yeah. four person? Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. Uh, I love She's another great character in this and, drama. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who sits on a grand jury and indicts Donald Trump, you impugn their character. Well, so I'm she just used her to, own character. I'm not, remember her? Remember the googly eyes, I don't Jessica? remember the Wiccan crazy. or whatever. She's a Wiccan. She was crazy. And she's Wiccans googly eyes. Wiccans are real people, too. I <laughs> so, of course, the woman that Waters is referring to there was the four, it's traditionally called the foreman or, like, the forewoman, person of the grand jury. And she did make some media appearances, which she probably shouldn't have. Not the best idea. And, but she was a little eccentric. But who cares? You're allowed to be eccentric and sit on a jury. It's supposed to be a jury of your peers. And if both lawyers and the judge approve, you're going to get set on that jury. And you want to do it, it's all good. So, um, yes, but this was like an in this this story took up an inordinate amount of airtime last week. And they just a lot of it was just making fun of Fonnie Willis and acting like it was this huge scandal. And I got really annoyed with this because I was like, if the genders were reversed, if Fonnie was a man and a woman was working in the pool of lawyers for this case. And they went on vacations together. Would anyone assume that the woman was paying for everything? No, they wouldn't. And again, you could say that there might be unethical or there might be some shady dealings going on with the hiring of the woman or whatever. But again, I just, that whole like, is this this assumption that two professionals who both make decent salaries would somehow I don't know. Just go back to these traditional gender roles of, like, the man pays for everything and the woman. I just... And, like, you're also sort of implying that if you work for the state, you can't ever spend your money. <laughs> because somebody could say you're spending it incorrectly. I don't... It just... All of it just seemed a little... I don't... I'm not really seeing it. I'm like, I don't know what this has to do with the case. I, Again, I'm no legal expert. I don't quite understand. Never a good idea to date your coworkers. But people do it all the time. It's, like, one of the number one places where people do meet their spouses and, and whatnot. Anyway, moving on. 
Now, it was safe to say that on Friday we had a bit of a news dump. <laughs> we all saw this coming. We all knew this was happening. This Trump civil fraud trial in New York State. People keep thinking it's, it. yes, it was in a New York City courtroom, but it was actually New York State um, that sued him over this. It was that Trump was engaging in a bunch of fraudulent business practices with Trump Org, Trump Organization, which is his, you know, huge company. And uh, we, we all knew this was coming. And no, we don't have cameras in New York. Uh, I mean, there were some still photography. We don't really have some brief video clips, but we don't have cameras in a New York courtroom. It's not allowed. But, you know, information got leaked and, and, and people quoted the judge and whatnot. And it was very dramatic and kind of over the top how ridiculous this case was, mainly because Trump is a ridiculous person. And uh, I'm going to be doing a bonus podcast. I was working all last night uh, that'll probably be dropping tonight. It's completely written. I just need to record it. Um, that is dedicated to just Friday night's coverage. I wanted to come out with it sooner, but it just got too backed up uh, with all this other stuff that I wasn't caught up on yet. So this is Alina Haba, who is one of my favorites in the Trump universe because she's absolutely terrible at her job. If I, as a layperson who's not a lawyer, I just have a sister who's a lawyer, can tell you are absolutely a train wreck, a total train wreck, at being an attorney, then, wow, you've got to be really bad. And I just also find her ridiculous because she's like a lot of the people in the Trump orbit, ridiculous, over-the-top, cartoonish, um, always, like, angry, you know, freaking out, indignant. I was even cracking up over some of her statements about, like, in this trial and in others about how like judges spoke to her which is very funny so in the words of my sister again uh the criminal defense attorney of many years jill schaefer attorney at law this is what she has said about this she's like jilly if a judge tells you to sit down you sit down you're not the one in control here <laughs> just so true <laughs> It's all about the judge. You do what the judge tells you. You nod and smile. You don't go, a judge has never spoken to me that way, your honor. Anyway, so this is Alina Haba. Very, very funny. This is a series of clips. I had to cut them all up. I just kept laughing at this. So here we go. They will not get away with it. We will come at them. We will come hard. And we will literally fight until the truth comes out. There was everything Trump, including his children, his company, employees that are working for him, doing their job. That is the desperation of our country at this moment, which is about to go into world war. This Imagine you're dragging children through this. That's the desperation we're at. Alan Weisselberg, Jeff McConney, people that did their jobs and did nothing wrong. And that is how desperate they are because they're going to lose. James had her shoes off in court. Let's not forget that. I called it out in the closing argument, but it's true. She had a Starbucks coffee in her hand. She wasn't doing work. She wasn't sitting at the council table. She was in the back with her shoes off and a coffee. And at the end of the day, we're sitting there looking at this going, this is the state of our country. Okay, Miss Haba, I am not a lawyer. Uh, I will not pretend to be one, but I just, just a note. If you're talking about the shoes... And the type of coffee the district attorney is dealing with in a closing argument that might not be your strongest closing argument. I'm just, I don't know what that has to do with the law. 
Maybe you don't like her. Maybe you don't like Letitia James. You didn't think she was being professional, whatever. I, ju I just don't think that that may, may have been your strongest argument. I'm also going to point this out. What are you talking about with World War? That's amusing. And then secondly, imagine you're dragging children through this. Imagine you're dragging children through this. Kind of a weird, she's a slight vocal fry. I have a slight vocal fry. I'm a Lena Haba and I'm always mad. I'm always mad. I have to get that New Jersey thing that she has, which I'm not getting. But that, this strident, I go on television. I wear outrageous outfits. I have a lot of makeup on. I've had a lot of work done to my face and body. I look great in a bikini. I'm a lawyer. Anyway, she famously said, somebody asked her, would you rather be pretty or smart? She said, pretty, because you can fake smart. And I'm like, dear... You cannot fake smart. You cannot. And as a woman of a certain age, I'm a little bit older than Miss Haba, I'd love to inform her that that pretty thing, <laughs> you get a window. <laughs> and when you're past a certain age, and it doesn't matter how you look, when you're past a certain age, you enter this realm, this realm where you're suddenly sort of invisible to some people. I love it personally. I think it's amazing. I'm having the time of my life. But <laughs> I, I, I am not kidding. I'm not being sarcastic. I love it. I was harassed so much in my 20s that now that I'm not in my 20s and I can go into a room and people actually talk to me and they're not trying to date me or say creepy things to me or be weird. I'm like, this is heaven. Okay. But Alina Haba trying to rely on like what she looks like is like, um, as a woman, I'm like, you get, you get a window and that window closes and then you better be smart because smart is better, lasts longer. You go further with it, in my humble opinion. Now, again, back to imagine you're dragging children through this. Um, I'm assuming she's talking about Eric Trump, who's 40 years old, and Donald Trump Jr., who is 46 years old. Donald Trump Jr. has teenage children. Both of Trump's sons were in charge of running the Trump organization while their father was president. Both Donald and Eric share the title of executive vice president and trustee of the Trump organization. Now, this is how Eric Trump describes his role in the Trump organization on the website for the company. Eric Trump is the executive vice president of the Trump organization and oversees all aspects of management and operation of the global real estate empire, including new project acquisition, development, and construction Bing, bing, bing. I bet they're also liable in this case. I don't think it's because they're his children. Think of the children. They're only in their 40s. How can they go on? Okay, that's me being a little clutch your pearls. Clutch your pearls. We're going to be doing a lot of clutching of your pearls in the next several months. And hopefully, come November, we won't all just pass out from clutching our pearls so much. But anyway, moving on. Okay, so I also want to also point out that this keeps happening and this will keep happening. Briefly, Letitia James is the Attorney General of New York. Alvin Bragg <laughs> is the District Attorney of Manhattan. Guess what? Gets even crazier. Brooklyn, Staten Island, the Bronx, and Queens all have their own District Attorneys. So there's a bunch of them. Uh... So when they talk about the crime in the city, what is she doing about the crime in the city? Not her jurisdiction. That is Alvin Bragg. And that's only if it's in Manhattan. And if it's in Brooklyn, it's a different person. And it's, I looked it all up. I looked it all up last night. Cause I'm like, wait, is there one for every borough? And there is. New York City again has 8.4 million people in it. So there we go. Now, 
quickly, how Fox and PBS covered the Trump civil fraud penalty. And I'm going to just play the clips. We're going to start with Fox. And I, I went with Hannity because he spent the most time on this. And I knew he would. I knew he would. I'm like, if any of the primetime hosts are going to just dedicate their lives to something, Hannity would dedicate his show to this. It was like 61%. I did a comparison of all of them. That's coming. Um, so here we go. We're starting on Friday, Hannity. So I ask again, where's the victim here? That's right. There isn't a victim. There's never been a case like this, a totally victimless political witch hunt, which a civil trial, as they called it. This is what we mean when we talk about a dual justice system, the weaponization of our legal system in America. They had to dig back years to bring all their claims forward. And now here we are years later, Letitia James feels the need to bring the case uh, against the runaway favorite for the Republican nomination, heading right into an election season. How convenient is that? Now, leftists in America, they're probably celebrating. What happens uh, if one day they come for you? That warning by Hannity there at the end just kind of cracked me up because I'm like, yes, when I start my own billion dollar, multi-billion dollar real estate empire, I'll be careful of Letitia James. Now, this is William Brangham from the PBS NewsHour explaining the same case. For example, they, they, they tripled the square footage of a luxury penthouse. They said that real estate projects that were not completed were completed. They said they had millions of dollars in cash on hand that they could control when they didn't. And, and Judge Ngoron in his ruling today was, was withering towards the former president and his company, saying that they were unwilling to acknowledge this fraud and that they were certainly not willing to vow to do differently going forward. In his ruling, he wrote, quote, their complete lack of contrition and remorse borders on pathological. They are accused only of inflating asset values to make more money. The documents prove this over and over again. Donald Trump is not Bernard Madoff, yet the defendants are incapable of admitting the error of their ways. And so Judge Ngoron, in his ruling, issued this enormous financial judgment against them and barred them from doing work in New York State for years to come. Just beautifully presented there. He got a lot of specifics in. We get a great understanding of exactly how the fraud was committed. Now, uh, this is also from the PBS NewsHour. If you want to watch that segment, by the way, it's Friday's episode. It's available on YouTube. Anybody can watch it for free. Uh, you also, and this is rather nifty, if you go to the uh, PBS uh, YouTube page, you can just find a segment. Just watch a segment if you'd like. You don't have to watch the whole show. Now, this comes from the very end of the show. They do a segment on Fridays called Brooks and Capehart, which David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart usually, sometimes they mix it up, but those are the two regulars. And they come on and they discuss the news. And Capehart is an absolutely brilliant man. He works all over the place. He constantly works. Brilliant, brilliant man. Very funny, very insightful. David Brooks is a conservative who's been around for years, ages. Um, he sometimes says things that I'm like, I'm going to throw something at my computer. But um, he also has moments where I'm like, wow, there you go. That's somebody who's been doing this for a while. And this is one of them. Now, he sums up the Trump civil fraud trial in less than 30 seconds. It's about 18 seconds, actually, about 15 seconds, actually. Guy had three sets of books. He had the banker's books where he inflated his assets. He had the IRS books where he deflated his assets. And then theoretically, he must have had the real books. Uh, and so people can understand that that's just fraud. That's just uh, being a con artist. 
he's oversimplifying, but of course you'd have to if you're going to break it down in, in, in about 15 seconds. But that's basically it. Like, he had all these different numbers, and he would basically evaluate things however he wanted to. And briefly, not to spend too much time on this, but I was trying to convey this on Twitter. It's very difficult to in the amount of characters I have per tweet. I worked on a project when I was in grad school about uh, real estate developers in New York City specifically. This is something that blew my mind. Even my teacher was like, I don't know how they do this. I don't know how they get away with this, but they do. This is a common practice in New York City. A high roller will buy a building for $100 million. I'm not kidding when I say $100 million, $100 million. They will get a mortgage for the $100 million. Why? Because they can write off the interest. They also have something called depreci depreciation that you or I could never get on a, like on a residential property. Another thing that is really wacky about commercial real estate is it's valued completely differently than a personal home. Like if we get a home, inspector comes in, an appraisal, they look at similar homes in the area and they lay them out. Like this one sold for this, this one sold for this. They look at your floors, they look at your heater, they look at your roof, all these things. And they go to the bank and they go, here's our appraisal, boom. When buying commercial real estate, the bank looks at things like how much income can the building make? Because it's an investment. It's very different than buying a home. So how, who are your renters? How much are they paying? What's the long-term you know, pr uh, projection for the building? Can you increase these rents? All of these crazy things go into commercial real estate that we would never deal with as a, a regular person just buying property. This is what the real estate developers do in New York City. I don't know if they're still doing it, but when interest rates were, you know, basically rock bottom, this is what they would do. So they put $100 million in a building. They use a mortgage. So they put like maybe 20%, 30% down. You usually have to put more down for commercial real estate. Then they immediately, at the first chance they get, take out another loan on the building. And they do it again and again and again. And they treat these properties like ATMs and they suck them dry of equity. They, they over leverage the building. They don't do repairs. They don't fix anything. They're not investing in the building. They don't care. They treat them like ATMs. And then when they get to the point that they're maxed out, they sell the building. And because it's New York and because real estate is massively inflated in the city, someone will buy it. And they do this over and over and over again. And if they screw up and they foreclose and, and they over leverage and they, and, or they, something goes wrong and they don't have enough to pay, make their payments, they don't care. These people are so wealthy that that doesn't hurt them. They just go to the next bank and they're able to do it again. And they're able to do it again and again and again. And we researched these people uh, when I was in grad school, this, this huge project that my teacher came up with. And it was shocking how often this happens and how they get away with it. And it's just not regulated in the same way because the banks don't care because they're making so much money off these mortgages that they don't even care. They just, you know, and they, they know that the, the, the building has value and, and they can always get more money for the building. Meanwhile, the tenants or the businesses that are renting in these buildings get screwed over. And so I just want to leave that a little bit of context out there because it's not really getting pushed so much in the news cycle right now because I don't think people really understand how different real estate investment at that level is than buying a house. And whenever anybody says, well, when you buy a house, I'm like, shut up. You have no idea what you're talking about because that is 
completely different than dealing at real estate at this level. And that's kind of what Trump does. So that's why he took out so many loans, because they just treat it like an ATM. I'm going to give a brief shout out to my sponsors. And who are my sponsors, you may ask? It's the listeners of this podcast and the readers of my Substack at Decoding Fox News at Substack. I also have a Patreon account at it's also for Decoding Fox News. Paid supporters and paid subscribers get exclusive content. I'm about to record. Um, I Actually, it's going to be the written version of the podcast, the bonus podcast. That will be for paid subscribers. Um, it has some fun charts in it of how they covered things on Friday. I like to go super nerdy for my paid subscribers. I want to give a shout out to Ron from Nebraska for purchasing um, some cat toys for Odin and Thor. From the Amazon wish list, which is also called, guess what? Decoding Fox News. Um, and that was Thor's favorite toy. It's a banana that comes with catnip in it, and he tears it apart. That's why I'm always going through those, but he loves them so much that I keep buying them. Um, and now I have a, a couple more. He, uh, Ron from Nebraska bought a set that has three catnip t uh, toys, and I have to put the other two in the freezer because if Thor smells them, he will hunt them down and he will tear them out. He's an adventure kitty. No wimp. Anyway, if you can't afford to become a paid subscriber for Decoding Fox News, the best way you can support the podcast or the newsletter is to share the podcast. Tell your friends. Share the newsletter. Thank you so much. And again, I did do a goofy commercial on Twitter with the cats in it. Now, moving on. On Thursday, this is how jam-packed the end of the week was last week, uh, a story broke about how an, the special counsel, David Weiss, basically criminally indicted an FBI informant for lying about uh, President Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. And Fox, like, mentioned it, tried to move on. It was story was getting too big for them to ignore it. So this is how I'm going to compare how – a lot of PBS this week – how Jesse Waters covered it and then PBS. So, again, this is an informant. I'll kind of break it down as we go through it. The FBI informant who said Ukraine bribed the Bidens, Joe and Hunter, $5 million apiece. Biden's Justice Department just arrested him. Special counsel David Weiss, the Delaware prosecutor who you remember tried to cut a sweetheart deal to keep Hunter out of prison, announced charges against Alexander Smirnov. Smirnov is a trusted and credible informant that the FBI has had on the payroll for years. Even Democrats said the FBI informant was credible. There's a confidential human source that the FBI works with who has proven to be very credible who reported a conversation with someone else. So that was a brief clip of Representative Jamie Raskin that was completely taken out of context. Uh, Jesse Waters never included the context, nor did he even give a date. So I had no idea what this was from or what Raskin was talking about. But he was too credible. The Biden administration is charging the FBI informant with obstruction and making a false statement. Remember, he informed the FBI that there were audio recordings of Joe Biden and Hunter shaking down a Ukrainian CEO for bribes. And coincidentally, after arresting the FBI informant who fingered him for bribes, Biden says it's time to drop the impeachment inquiry. Now, in the Je F Jesse Waters is sort of implying that this uh, informant was credible, and that's why he's being investigated by the special counsel, which that's nonsense. Now, this story about the bribes was never verified. What happened was House Oversight Committee members, mainly James Comer, Jim Jordan, and Jason Smith, they're the sort of the unholy trinity of this ridiculousness. They found out about this form. 
They demanded to see it. They threatened Christopher Wray with contempt of Congress if he didn't give it up. The FBI was like, yeah, we don't really want you to see this. It's unclassified, but there's good reasons why we don't want you to see this. Because they knew it wasn't a verified story. And they allowed them to look at it in a skiff. And then they came out and talked about it. And they all, all the Republicans were like, oh, this is totally damning. And the Democrats were like, yeah, it's not verified. The FBI didn't even look into it because they thought it wasn't a decent story, that there wasn't enough to back it up. Now, all of this happened. It went crazy in right-wing media. And people were just saying flat out that, you know, this was evidence that the Bidens took bribes, even though it was not. It was not. Now, apparently, um, this informant Smirnoff has changed his story. Uh, never, no one has found any cooperating evidence, any cooperating witnesses to this story. The tapes have not been found. They probably don't exist. No one has stepped forward and said, yes, I can verify this. So, no, this was never, this isn't that, this story was so good, the FBI had to come after him. No, the story was never any good. Now, in the next clip, Jeff Bennett, who's one of the co-anchors of the PBS NewsHour, starts off by saying that the memos that the Republicans generated about this form that the FBI told them from day one, this is not a verified story. We did not investigate it because we didn't think it was credible. They said it. It's on the form. But anyway, these memos and all of this hype about this accusation is exactly what drew the investigators to this informant and probably what caused them to criminally indict him. So way to go, Comer. You did it. So this is, again, Jeff Bennett, and he is speaking to Laura Barone Lopez, who's a, the White House correspondent at the PBS NewsHour. FBI, as I understand it, is now using memos that congressional Republicans released as part of their indictment against Alexander Smirnov. So what do you see as the other potential political fallout here? Look, Democrats are seizing on this, essentially saying that uh, the entire basis for the House Republican impeachment inquiry into President Biden is on shaky ground. They have no evidence whatsoever because one of their biggest pieces that they said was of evidence of a bribery scheme uh, is now uh, being called into severe question by the Justice Department, saying that it was all a lie. Now, this also comes, Jeff, after witness after witness, including some of Hunter Biden's business associates, have testified, you know, uh, have been deposed by uh, the Oversight Committee and by the committee overseeing this, and have essentially said that there is no evidence that President Biden was involved in any of Hunter Biden's business dealings. And this also comes, Jeff, a few weeks before Hunter Biden is set to testify to the committee. So Barone Lopez sums it up quite nicely there. Um, basically, even though right-wing media, including Fox News, has misrepresented the testimony of various witnesses in this investigation, they've all repeatedly said that, no, Joe Biden was not part of Hunter Biden's business over and over. It just doesn't matter who they've interviewed. They've all said the same thing. Now, Tony Bobulinski, who uh, testified last week, the funny thing about him is he reached out to the Wall Street Journal in 2020 with this, you know, what he claimed was damning evidence against Joe Biden. They met with him and they immediately issued um, an article. They published an article that said, we talked to this guy, Bobolinsky. He made these claims. We didn't find it credible based on his evidence. They said that in 2020. Now, he has not come up with new evidence. It's the same garbage. And he went ahead and testified. But he has his opinions, and that's great. He doesn't have anything to back it up. So Bobolinsky 
is another one that they'll drop that name all the time, but it's just a nothing burger. Now, moving on very quickly, because we're is probably going to go, this is probably going to be the longest episode, but I, I kind of suspected it would be because there's so much to cover. So the Her Report, which was the special counsel investigation into how President Biden handled classified documents, has officially become the next but her emails, which is the next version of Hillary Clinton's never-ending but her email scandal. And Newt Gingrich just flat out called it. Again, this is on Hannity on Thursday. Here's the clip. Look, look, the standard for all this was set by Hillary Clinton, who had staff take a hammer and physically destroy the hard drive, who herself apparently deleted 32 or 33,000 emails. I mean, she is sort of the model for simply destroying the evidence. And as you know, uh, they refused to prosecute her, even though she clearly was guilty of very significant violations of law about dealing with those kind of documents. So now you have the same thing happening. One of the challenges in our current totally one-sided legal system is that if you're a Democrat, you can assume that, in fact, uh, the Justice Department, the FBI, will protect you, favor you, do everything it can to avoid hurting you. And if you're a Republican, uh, you can assume that they will do just exactly the opposite. This is a terrible moment for America, for the rule of law, and for the... So it's official. The Her Report will now be talked about until the end of time, much like the Hillary Clinton email scandal. Very quickly to recap, the he, they always bring up the, oh, she smashed phones. They basically try to imply that the Department of Justice said, Hillary, give us your phones. And she said, ha ha. And then she personally got out a hammer and smashed it to bits. It's not what happened. Uh, when she was Secretary of State, as she would retire her devices, which she did frequently, her aides smashed them with hammers to destroy them to try to protect the data in the phone. Imperfect, but that's what they did. That had nothing to do with the Department of Justice requesting the phones as evidence. Second, although she did delete roughly 33,000 personal emails, she handed over 55,000 printed pages of what she and her legal team believed were work-related emails. And after multiple exhaustive investigations into any wrongdoing by Hillary Clinton, including one by the Trump Department of Justice, No charges were ever filed against her. This just will not die. Now, this next clip I included just because I thought it was funny. Uh, Alina Haba was on Hannity on Thursday, and she thought it was a good idea to bring up a case that she botched so massively that she was fined personally for even filing the case by a judge in Florida, federal judge in Florida. And then later, it took a while, took a few months, Uh, but she and Donald J. Trump were sanctioned. I'm not sure how this was split, but it was a million dollars for even filing the case because it was a frivolous lawsuit. I'll let her explain it, then I'll break it down a little bit. Especially what we know about Hillary Clinton. No reasonable prosecutor would prosecute. Wow. If that's not a dual justice system, I don't know what is. We'll give you the final word. Yeah, it's 100 percent right. Don't forget, we, we went after Hillary Clinton for something that we know is true and, and the Russia hoax. And we got fined a million dollars and sanctioned and the case got thrown out without me ever even meeting the judge. I never met the judge one time, never spoke to him, never walked into court. That is the state of our country right now. 
I don't know about Hubba, but I probably wouldn't be reminding people about this case. So basically what happened is they filed this wacky lawsuit that was basically saying there was a vast conspiracy that Hillary Clinton was heading and all these other like co-conspirators. And there's like this huge long list of other people that Trump perceived as his enemies. It was, I, I, it was crazy. And they said it was like a deep state conspiracy to take him down. And those words were actually used in the lawsuit. Uh, and the judge was so disgusted by this lawsuit, he just said, this is ridiculous. He threw it out. He fined all of the lawyers $50,000 and ordered them to cover $16,000 in legal fees. And then in January of last year, because it took months for the sanctions to happen, he ordered Trump and Haba, just just Haba, just, she was the only lawyer that got sanctioned. There's a list of them that had to pay the $50,000 fine, but she was the only one that got sanctioned to jointly pay nearly $1 million in penalties for pursuing a frivolous lawsuit. No joke. And I have hyperlinks to everything in the newsletter. Nutty, 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 nutty. Now, before I get into the last section, because we are going to go a little bit longer than normal in this episode, but I kind of saw that coming because it was just there's so much that happened last week. It was like, give me a Stop it. I'll do a brief... Um, I'll do, I'll do a brief impression because I know you guys get a kick out of them. I'm Carrie Lake, and you're fake news, and you're a liar. And I, Alina Haba, think she's all that with her little outfits and her coats. And her I am an attorney will let me tell you. Alina Haba, I used to read the news. I used to read the news on television in Arizona, which everybody knows is now called Carizona. And I could chew you up, spit you out, and stomp on you in a moment. You think you're all that with your big brown eyes? Well, I have some big brown eyes, too, and I have a filter. I have a filter and an exciting array of portraits behind me that I appear in on screen all the time. And Donald Trump knows you're not going to be vice president. I will be. Why? Because I want it. I want it more than you've ever wanted anything in your life, Missy. Every day, I look into the mirror and I say, Carrie Lake, you are the governor, you are the vice president, and you are the next senator from Carizona. We're officially renaming it. Don't get me started. You're fake news, and you're a liar. So just to give you a heads up, both Odin and Thor have descended right upon me. They're inches away as I'm trying to record. It makes me very nervous. They're going to knock something over. But here we go. Stories Fox News ignored. Every week I compare the hours I've watched on Fox News to the five hours of the PBS NewsHour. The following list are stories that PBS covered that Fox News did not. Updates in the war in Ukraine. Ukraine said it sunk a Russian warship in the Red Sea outside of Russian-occupied Crimea. If the sinking is confirmed, it would be the 15th Russian ship sunk by Ukrainian forces. Ukraine and Russia traded missile attacks. At least seven people were killed in eastern Ukrainian cities. And Russian authorities said that five people were killed and 18 injured in the Russian city of Belgorod in a border city near northeast Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky signed a 10-year bilateral security agreement with France after signing a similar agreement with Germany. The package includes $3.2 billion in military aid. Germany agreed to supply $1.2 billion in military aid. The Ukrainian military retreated from an eastern city of Advigdika, 
due to a lack of artillery munitions. President Biden blamed Congress for its inability to pass a bill that would help support Ukrainians' efforts to fight Russia. Updates in the Israel-Hamas war. A group of families of hostages taken from Israel, the Hostages and Missing Families Forum, visited the International Criminal Court at the United Nations and urged them to prosecute Hamas leadership. The top UN court rejected South Africa's request for urgent action to help safeguard the Rafah crossing in the southern end of Gaza near the Egyptian border. The court stressed that Israel must respect earlier measures imposed late last month at a preliminary stage in a landmark genocide case. Israel has identified Rafah as the last holdout for Hamas forces in Gaza and has urged civilians to evacuate before it launches an offensive in the area. In Pakistan, supporters of the imprisoned former Prime Minister Emran Khan protested the latest parliamentary elections. Khan and his protesters are claiming the election was rigged. A coalition government led by former Prime Minister Shabazz Sharif is expected to take power in the coming days. The first ever State of the World's Migratory Species Report by the United Nations found a 44% decline in migratory species. The two greatest threats to all migratory species are over-exploitation and habitat loss due to human activity. PBS produced a segment about former President Donald J. Trump's radical plans for mass deportations of millions of people if he's elected president later this year. Trump plans to federalize the National Guard to help secure the border and deport undocumented immigrants in non-border states. The plan is seen as unconstitutional by many. Representative Mike Gallagher, a Republican of Wisconsin, declared that he will not run for re-election at the end of his term. Gallagher refused to vote with fellow House Republicans to impeach the Secretary of Homeland Security. PBS produced a segment about the controversy surrounding children playing tackle football due to elevated risk of brain injuries. In some communities in the South, the commitment to the sport remains strong. Overall participation in youth tackle football has decreased. European leaders addressed former President Donald J. Trump's recent comments about NATO. Trump said during a rally that under his watch, he would encourage Russia, quote, to do whatever the hell they want, end quote, to NATO countries not spending sufficiently on their own defense. Trump also misrepresented how NATO is funded. Members of three separate unions representing flight attendants in the U.S. and U.K. staged a day-long walkout over low wages. Federal law makes it difficult for airline unions to conduct legal strikes. The scaffolding surrounding the Notre Dame Cathedral in France is starting to come down in anticipation of its reopening in December. The building was badly damaged in a fire five years ago. Twenty leading technology companies agreed to limit the use of deceptive AI on social media platforms in the next election. The companies have vowed to restrict the use of AI on all platforms, including those outside the United States. The FDA issued a warning about the dangers of a supplement sold under the brand Neptune's Fix, which is also called gas station heroin. The FBI warning includes cases of severe adverse events after the use of Neptune's Fix products, including seizures, loss of consciousness, and death. Controversial El Salvador President Nayib Bukele and his New Ideas Party have won a supermajority in the last election. Critics say his crackdown on violent gangs have gone too far as thousands have been arrested for suspected gang activity despite evidence or a chance to plead their case in court. Tucker Carlson, 
frequently championed the president's governing style. Tucker Carlson loves that man, which is a little disturbing. Harvey Weinstein's legal team is appealing his rape conviction in New York State on the grounds that he did not have a fair trial. Weinstein, 71, was convicted of a criminal sex act for forcibly performing oral sex on a TV and film production assistant in 2006 and rape in the third degree for an attack on an aspiring actress in 2013. He was also found guilty in Los Angeles and sentenced to 16 years on similar charges. Uber and Lyft drivers staged a one-day strike on Valentine's Day. Thousands of ride-hailing and delivery workers in the U.S. and U.K. went on strike calling for higher pay and other changes for their work conditions. Defense Prime Minister Prabhu Subiano, a former general linked to past human rights abuses, claimed victory in Indonesia's presidential election last week. His victory raised concerns about the state of democracy in the country. As part of her series, America at a Crossroads, Judy Woodruff traveled to Virginia to cover the Mock Con, where 2,000 college students hold a mock political convention. Greece became the first Orthodox Christian country to legalize same-sex marriage last week. Japan unexpectedly slipped into a recession at the end of last year. Germany is now officially the third largest economy, as Japan has slipped to fourth place. A private company launched a lunar lander from Cape Canaveral, Florida. If the mission is successful, it will be the first private company to land on the moon. The spacecraft does not include a human crew. Even though Fox News spent significant airtime covering President Biden's visit to East Palestine, Ohio, the site of a train derailment and subsequent controlled burn of toxic chemicals, no one on the network brought up the bipartisan rail safety bill that has stalled in Congress. PBS invited Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to speak at length about the bill and how it could help prevent disasters like the accident in East Palestine. Bob Edwards, a longtime host of NPR's Morning Edition and later of All Things Considered, died at the age of 76. Edwards also went on to host his own interview show at Sirius XM Radio and continue to be heard on many public radio stations on Bob Edwards Weekend. So that's a whole heck of a lot of stories that were covered on PBS that Fox News did not cover. Now, next up, we have By the Numbers, which I compare the top five topics discussed on Fox News, the top five topics on the PBS NewsHour. Again, I pick PBS because it's straight down the middle, nonpartisan, high-quality news. Let's go. So Fox, number one topic was the Fonnie Willis scandal at 15% of airtime. Biden bashing, 13%. That also included a lot of the Herb report. It's kind of blurry with those two. Uh, the Trump civil fraud trial, 11%. The impeachment inquiry, which is basically the Hunter Biden scandal, 6%. And Biden's visit to East Palestine, Ohio, which was 4%. PBS NewsHour, top five topics. Artist Profile, 10%. That's a regular segment. Israel-Hamas War, 7%. The Death of Alexei Navalny, an opposition leader in Russia, 6%. Fox News also talked about it, but not nearly as much. The Spending Bill, uh, that includes spending for Ukraine, took up 6% of airtime on PBS. And finally, uh, PBS did a segment on aging politicians, which included Trump and Biden. They kind of were very equal about both. And they had experts come on and talk about what happens to your brain as you get older. They also interviewed voters over the age of 70 about what they thought about it. It was a very interesting segment. 
And next up, we have words used on Fox for the week ending February 16th, 2024. Biden topped the list at 570, Trump 408, border 163, Russia 120, crime 93, Ukraine 77, Israel 64, Hunter 54, shooting in reference to the Kansas City shooting 41, Fonnie Willis, 35, China, 25, inflation, 18, Iran, 9, economy, 6, and AOC always seems to make the list no matter what at 1. And that is it for the podcast. I will be recording the bonus podcast later today. Um, That will be going up probably tomorrow. So look for that. That's basically all about Friday. It's pretty funny. That's going to be a lighthearted one. Um, We also have coming up tonight, we have the town hall on Ingram with Trump. I'll be doing something with that. (laughs) Help me. And um, if you'd like to get more of Decoding Fox News, I am on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Decoding Fox News, Threads, Decoding Fox News, Instagram, the comment sections are always funny on that one, TikTok, and then for Facebook and YouTube, it's under my personal name, Juliet Jeske, Juliet spelled like Romeo Ann, that's with one T, Jeske spelled J-E-S-K-E, and that's, I'm exhausted, and I still have so much to do, because I'm already behind schedule. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to become a supporter of Decoding Fox News, you go to my Substack or Patreon, both for Decoding Fox News. And um, thank you so much. I will see you at the next podcast.